Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Michael, and it's great to be here with you uh, this morning as we begin both a new year and a new teaching series called True Worship in Community, looking at Romans chapters 12 through to 14. And you might be wondering, why have we chosen this series? And why have we chosen to look at this particular part of the Bible? Why start a preaching series at chapter 12 instead of at chapter 1? Well, these are good questions to consider. And the answer is that churches and preachers, we love the book of Romans. Even if you've been in church for only a short while, you've probably heard the book of Romans being preached. Proving this point, if today is your first day, welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. Enjoy this upcoming preaching series on Romans. And churches and preachers, we rightly love the book of Romans because it's full of wonderful gospel truth. If we do just a quick survey of the whole book, we see that the themes of God's saving righteousness and how all people, regardless of their background, how all people can be justified by faith. Those themes, they dominate the first four chapters of the book. And then in the next four chapters, chapters five through to eight, they describe the confidence that the gospel provides for the future, the hope of salvation and the certain and secure promise of eternal life. Chapters 9 through to 11 follow, and they consider the place of Israel within God's plan of salvation, and they highlight God's mercy and God's sovereignty. And each of these topics, each of these themes, they're worthy of our time and attention, and so much of the preaching and teaching that happens in evangelical churches, it happens on Romans, it happens on uh, these first 11 chapters and it focuses on the weighty theology that these chapters have to offer. Yet we ought to remember that the letter doesn't finish at the end of chapter 11. The author Paul, he kept writing. He had more to say after those 315 verses. And that is also worthy of our time and our attention. Now, Michael Bird, he's an Australian theologian. He's a lecturer at Ridley College in Melbourne. He wrote a book about Romans called The Saving Righteousness of God. In that book, he tackles several of the big issues and the themes that Romans has to offer. And I have a quote from that book on the screen. So Michael Bird, he says, Romans 12 to 15, they're the most underpreached passages in evangelical churches. And this is a travesty, since in these chapters, we find manifold resources for living out the Christian faith in a polytheistic, pluralistic, and pagan world, not so different from our own postmodern setting. And Paul is not interested in merely imparting copious amounts of theology to the congregation in Rome. That's an impression you could get if you finish reading Romans in chapter 11. But he seeks transformed lives and changed behavior as a result of his epistle. So why are we doing this series, True Worship in Community? Because we want to discover those manifold resources, the plentiful resources, the abundant resources that these chapters of the Bible have to offer for us as Christians living in this culture. This culture, this polytheistic culture, 
in which many different gods, many different idols are served and worshipped. This pluralistic culture in which there's more than one authority, more than one truth. So people can say, well, that's good and that's true for you, but not for me. Our pagan culture, in which the moral state of society, it's moving further and further away from its Christian foundations. And it's in this culture, as Christians, that's people who are saved by the grace of God and people who are living under the lordship of Jesus, we want to be distinctive. We want to be different from people around us. We want to be distinctive because how our lives have been transformed, how our behaviour has been changed, it's been changed by the Lordship of Jesus, by the power of God's Word, and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so it's our prayer and our desire that spending these next few weeks in the back back end of Romans is going to do just that. So let's get in the text. Let's have a deeper look at these first couple of verses in Romans chapter 12. Let me read the first part of verse 1 again. There it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The first thing that I'd like to highlight for you is the word therefore. Because whenever you're reading the Bible, taking good notice of any time the word therefore appears will really help you understand what you're reading. Because therefore, it's a word that connects two ideas. It connects what has come before with what is coming afterwards. And so this therefore, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, invites us to consider what has come before. Not just the end of chapter 11, but everything that's come before in the book of Romans. All that weighty theology of the first 11 chapters. Paul's entire explanation of the gospel, which he succinctly summarizes, as we heard uh, Professor Mark say, as the mercies of God. And so in this way, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it marks a transition point in the structure of the book. It's like a hinge that connects the two big sections of the book. A hinge that reflects a shift in focus. A shift in focus from what God has done for you, his mercies for you, his grace to you, to then a shift in focus to then Jesus is Lord and it matters how we live. It matters how we worship. It matters how we treat other people. A shift between the gospel that Jesus is Saviour to then the gospel that Jesus is Lord. And so if we keep reading, we see what our response to the gospel ought to be. The second half of verse 1, there it says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. The call to present your bodies as a living sacrifice is a call to offer your whole self to God, all that you are, everything that you have. The appeal to offer your whole self, your body as a living sacrifice in worship of the Lord, well, it captures the same idea of total and complete devotion that was expressed in the Old Testament and summarized by Jesus when he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. It's because the majesty of our great God, it requires the devotion of our entire selves. To give anything less simply will not do. 
And so I can hardly think of a more appropriate way to begin our year together than by reminding ourselves of the wholehearted, whole-minded, whole-bodied devotion that our God both rightly deserves and requires. And I also want to draw your attention to the end of the verse. In the ESV, which we have up on the screen, it says, your spiritual worship. But if, if you look at that same phrase in other major English translations, you'll see that translators, they've had a difficult time deciding what English word uh, best use, uh, and they've come up with a variety of options in translating this verse. So if we look at the NIV, it is translated as your true and proper worship. In the NRSV, it's translated as your reasonable act of service, of worship. And for anyone who likes a bit of tradition, in the KJV, it is translated as your reasonable service. So across the board, we have spiritual, true and proper, reasonable, all these different words being used to describe the type of worship we are to offer to God. Yet, I think it's fair to say that all these different words, these different translations, they're not communicating exactly the same thing. And this is where a quick look back at the original Greek can be really helpful for us. So the word used in the original Greek of the New Testament, it's logikos, and it's the word that we get logical from. And so it only appears twice in the whole New Testament, here in Romans 12, and then again in 1 Peter 2. And on both occasions, translators have a hard time figuring out how to translate this word. And it's because it's an uncommon word in biblical writings, but while it was uncommon for the biblical authors, the word was frequently used in Greek philosophy. And so there's a quote from the first century Stoic philosopher, uh, Epictetus, that shed some light on the idea that is communicated by this word, logikos. And in the quote, he says, if indeed I were a nightingale, I should be singing as a nightingale. If a swan, as a swan. But as it is, I am a rational being. I am a logikos being. Therefore, I must be singing hymns of praise to God. And I exhort you to join me in this same song. From this quote, we see that each creature cannot help but do what is in their true nature. A nightingale sings because, well, that's what nightingales do. That is their nature. And we see other examples of this all the time in the world around us. You know, I'm sure if you've gone over to a friend's house for dinner and they have a dog and that excited little puppy greets you at the door, tongue sticking out of its mouth, jumping up and down, running back and forth at full pace, it's so excited that a visitor's come to the house, but that doesn't really bother you because the dog is just doing what is appropriate to its nature. It's behaving in the way that you kind of expect a dog to behave. But if your host greeted you in the same way, tongue sticking sideways out of their mouth, jumping up and down, licking your shoes, uh, well, I think you'd seriously consider, are you actually going to go into the house with this person and have a meal with them? Because in no way would they be acting in a way that's appropriate to their nature. And so if we return to Romans chapter 12, I think the NIV translation captures the original meaning the best. What Paul is instructing his readers to do is to offer true worship, proper worship, worship that is appropriate. 
And worship that is appropriate for people who have been saved by grace. Appropriate for people who have been justified by faith. Appropriate for us who are people who have been united with Christ. United with him in his death and in his resurrection. Such that we are in Christ, as Paul often says throughout his letters. And so this true, this proper, this appropriate worship that Paul is describing here in Romans 12... Well, it actually stands in stark contrast to another type of worship that he has already described earlier in his letter. Because right back at the beginning of Romans, in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, Paul describes how humanity has rejected God and instead pursued false and depraved worship. So if you look at the screen, you can clearly see the contrast that Paul is making between the two types of worship because he purposely repeats his own language. So instead of dishonouring their bodies, Paul is urging believers to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. And rather than exchanging the truth for a lie and worshipping creatures instead of the creator, Paul is urging believers to offer true and proper worship. And rather than having depraved minds, the mind of the Christian ought to be transformed and renewed. And this contrast, it helps us see the kind of worship that we're to offer as Christians, how it is different, how it's contrast, it's distinct from the world around us. We're called to offer true and proper worship, and it's so different from the false and the foolish worship that is offered by the world around us. It's because for us, who we worship, how we use our minds, how we use our bodies, it's just so different. It's radically different from the unbelieving world around us. So then my first application point for you all today, consider this question. Are you worshipping God with your whole self? Are you offering him true and proper worship that comes from your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole body? Of the resources that you have, your time, your money, your gifts and talents, are you giving the very best of those things to God? To the things of God, do they get first priority in your calendar or in your budget? Or do you kind of fit them in the leftover gaps on the edges once everything else is in there first? That's a significant challenge, isn't it? And I must say that my aim in raising this challenge is not to make you feel guilty or ashamed that you can't say that you're giving God your very best all of the time because the reality is that none of us do it. We don't do it perfectly. We're all in the same boat. We're all in need of God's grace and all in need of God's mercy. But we also ought to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge where we can do better how we can work towards giving God the very best that we have to offer. And so my simple suggestion, the start of a new year, is start afresh with your calendar and with your budget. Because your calendar, your budget, they're just helpful tools, but they show you where those precious resources of time and money, where they're being spent. And so one way or another, those resources, time and money, they're going to show you what you value you're going to spend them on what is deeply important to you. And so taking a hard look at how 
and where you spend your time and how and where you spend your money it might show you where and how you can give more of yourself to God, how you could worship him with your whole self. Yet the good news is that we don't have to do all of this by our own strength, our own willpower. God himself, he enables us, he empowers us, so it's possible for us to offer him true worship, worship that is different from the worship of the world. Because as we continue reading now from verse 2, there it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. From this, we see that our ability, our capacity to offer true worship, it's impacted by what influences us, what shapes us. Because the world around us, it wants to conform us to its pattern, to squeeze us into its mold, to shape us, to form us to influence us with external pressure until we give in and cave in. But God, well, he wants to and he does. He transforms us from the inside. He renews our minds as we immerse ourselves in his word. And through the leading and guiding of the indwelling Holy Spirit, he transforms our character and our behaviour. To illustrate this difference between being conformed, being transformed, let me tell you a short story. Now, there once was a little girl who was trying to open a flower blossom, and she tried and she tried to open it with her hands to pick it apart, and under her repeated efforts, the blossom fell apart in her hands. And she was sad, and she was frustrated, and she looked up at her mother and she asked, why does the blossom fall apart when I try to open it? But when God opens it, the flower is beautiful. Shocked at the profound insight from her child, mother was speechless. Soon, however, the little girl exclaimed, and she was excited. She said, aha, I know. When God opens up the flower, he opens it up from the inside. And in this little story, the external pressure to conform, it ultimately brought destruction. But while the transformation from within, it brought beauty and life. And so my second application point for you to consider is, what is shaping you? What is forming who you are? Are you being shaped and formed from the outside? Or are you being shaped and formed from within? Now, it's easy to see how the pressure to conform to the pattern of the world, how that pressure applies to young people, to our kids and to our youth and to our young adults, because they have, there's a pressure to act a certain way, especially in terms of relationships and sex, because they're given such a prominent place in our culture. To do what everyone else is doing, watch pornography, have sex, because it feels good, it's no big deal. Everyone else is doing, there's no harm in it. And then there's also the pressure to look a certain way, 
to have a body shape that's big in the right way, yet at the same time also small in the right way, to keep up with current fashion trends, yet to express who you are as an individual. Now, these pressures, they're probably just the tip of the iceberg of all the different pressures and temptations that our young people, our kids, and our youth and our young adults that they face. And as they, uh, those pressures that get them to try and conform to the pattern of the world. And for those of us who aren't in those stages of life, we ought to be mindful of this. We should be teaching, mentoring these young people, setting an example for them that is different from the example that the world sets. Yet we would also be very, very foolish to think that temptations and pressures to conform to the pattern of the world, that that's only a young person's problem. For adults all the way through the stages of life, from early independence all the way through to retirement, I think the temptations and the pressures to conform to the pattern of the world, I think they're more subtle, not as obvious, not as in your face as they are for young people. That doesn't mean they're any less dangerous. Because as we'll explore in this series in the coming weeks, there's a t temptation to conform to the self-centered, to the prideful thinking of the world. As we think of ourselves as better, as more important than other people around us. And that temptation, that temptation's present at an individual level to compare ourselves to other people, think we're better, more important than them. But the temptation, the pressure's there at a collective level as well for our church to think that, hey, we're better, we're more important than other churches in the suburbs around us. So there'll be more on this next week as Phil Osa leads us through the next, uh, next section of Romans chapter 12. And he'll remind us of the humble, other person-centered thinking that comes from a mind that's been renewed by God, by his word, and by his spirit. And there's also the temptation to conform to the pattern of the world by retaliating, seeking revenge whenever we're attacked, to badmouth, to bring down those who are saying hurtful and harmful things about us, to repay an eye for an eye, to repay evil with evil, and to feel justified in doing so. As Pastor Graham will lead us through in two weeks' time, people who are transformed by God people who seek to offer him true worship, will they respond to hate with love? They respond to persecution with blessing. And they respond to evil with good. And I could keep going with all the different pressures and temptations that we have to conform to the pattern of the world, but for the sake of time, I, won't. I hope I've made my point clear. Each person here who calls themselves a believer whether they've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time or a very short time, we all have temptations to overcome. And we're all in the process of being transformed and renewed by God. And with this in mind, as I now conclude, I'd like you to take a moment to consider two things. First, reflect back. Reflect back on the year that has just gone. Consider how God has been at work in your life during that past year, how he's been transforming you, how he's been growing you, how has he been maturing you? What areas of your life can you look back on and you can see growth and you can see the hand of God at work in your life?
In a minute, I'll give you a few moments to do just that. And when something comes to mind, I think it's right to do two things. First, it's appropriate, it's right to thank God and to praise Him for what He has done in your life, for His guidance, for His wisdom, His transformation and His renewal as He has uh, happened in you through His power. And then secondly, share the joyful news of how God has been active in your life with someone close by to you. This series has been titled True Worship in Community. And so I think it would be a wonderful encouragement for us all, considering not only how God has been transforming and renewing me as an individual, but to see and hear how God has been growing and maturing and transforming us together as a community. So first thing, reflect back on the past year, praise God for his work in your life, and share that joyful news together as a community. And then second thing I want you to consider is an area of your life that you want and you need to see growth and transformation in your life. Because none of us are finished products. We each have areas of our life that God still has more work to do. We're continuing to be renewed by him. And so when you've identified that area in your life that you want, you need God's renewing power at work, Commit that area of life to him in prayer. Perhaps even write it down on a note, a piece of paper. Make a note in your phone. So you can look back on that note in six months' time, 12 months' time. You can look back at that note and you can see how God has been at work in your life. How he's been transforming you. How he's been renewing you. How he's been maturing you. And you can praise him for the work that he does. So please take a moment now to consider those things. In a few minutes' time, band will lead us again as we come together to offer our God true worship in community. <laughs>